Hi, and welcome to Eat My Words, a twice-monthly Arizona Highways podcast that celebrates Arizona's unique culinary culture. I'm your host, Kelly Vaughn. On this episode of Eat My Words, I'm pleased to introduce Megan Greenwood of Greenwood Brewing in Phoenix. Megan, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about the evolution of your interest in beer and in brewing your own beer. Yes. Um, well, it uh, it kind of started probably when I was younger and loved beer. That was kind of my beverage of choice. I'm from the Midwest, so I grew up with my family drinking beer um, at any family events and just kind of loved beer and ended up that being my, my beverage as I was going like exiting college and going into my professional life. And um, I was, uh, I'm an engineer and I was working in manufacturing facilities for the majority of my career. And um, so I would, uh, we would be making herbal essences shampoo with Procter and Gamble or um, refrigerators with Whirlpool or um, the majority of my time that I spent in manufacturing was with Eaton Corporation making uh, power management equipment. And um, so I, I kind of, my whole career of professional life grew up in manufacturing facilities. And um, I didn't even realize that, uh, like I didn't actually realize that this was my story until I started to like think back like, brewing is manufacturing. Um, it's just, we're making a product that puts a smile on your face and gives you some rosy cheeks sometimes. Um, but we, uh, so I was at the time, um, I had moved into a sales position. So I was sales engineering, I was selling to engineers and the majority of my customers were men because the majority of engineers are men. Um, and I, I, as a beer drinker, I uh, always felt like I would have the most honest conversation over craft beer. And when I wanted to really have that real conversation with my customer, if we had to talk about schedule or pricing or something that, you know, was hard, difficult to, to talk about, I found that it was the easiest if we had a beer um, in front of us versus any other type of beverage. And, you know, not a coffee, wasn't dinner. It was, let's go have a beer. Um, and at the same time, um, I actually... Uh, my roommate that I, I, I was living, before I moved to Arizona, I was living in Boston um, and was paying rent at this, uh, in, in downtown Boston. And it, I was, it was just killing me to spend like so much money in rent. And so um, I moved to Arizona with my company. Um, and I, when I moved here, I was like, I'm not paying rent anymore. I'm going to buy a house. And, and I bought a house in Chandler, Arizona. And we, um, I realized very quickly that I was house poor and I needed a roommate. And so I got, I, um, I found a roommate on Craigslist and he ended up being a really good friend of mine. And he, um, he was a home brewer. He had home brewed with his family. And he, uh, he was like, you know, I think that you'd really enjoy home brewing. And he bought me a home brew kit for my birthday. Uh, so at the same time, as I was going through my professional life, I started this hobby of home brewing with my roommate and my neighbor. And um, it was just something fun that we could do on the weekends. And it turned into having eight beers on tap in my garage. So at the same time, so when I would go out and have, the, have these real conversations I was talking about, um, I would find that uh, as a woman in the beer and like going to have a beer, I felt like I was not being um, kind of, I was not being marketed to as a, as a, as a consumer, as a female consumer. And I um, automatically was categorized in somebody who wanted something 
specific, like a fruity beer or a Pilsner or a light beer or something. And um, little did anybody know that I had, you know, eight beers in my garage that we had brewed, um, that I had brewed. And so I, I was like, I wonder if other people feel this way. And so I kind of, I surveyed um, 200 people and um, really dug into um, what women, how women feel about beer. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And then I'll, I, I want you to continue your story, of course. But I find that too, you know, I'm a woman who likes an IPA or likes a double IPA. And I, I've been at a bar, you know, at a conference or something and ordered a double IPA. And the bartender will look at me and say, are you sure you want that young lady? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, where do you think that comes from? I know that's a difficult question to answer, but why are the lighter beers marketed toward women? I would say, you know, I think it's a calorie thing, probably, you know, right. that women really, that a lot of women do count their calories and really watch their figure. And that's a social conversation we probably don't want to get into. Right. <laughs> but I think that's probably where it stems from. And then, so like a woman is, and then beer or actually originally was a woman, women, women made beer. Right. And, um, and there's a folk story. It's not fact, but I like to think it's fact. Um, it's a, a story passed down, but it's that um, women were the women because beer was like was a household beverage. So, um, and it's obviously not the beer we're drinking today, but it was a household beverage. So it was like cooking. It's it's just like cooking, um, and it's kind of similar to making bread, you know. And so women would make the beer for the family, and they'd make the bread for the family, and they'd cook, you know, cook all day, every day. And um, so women found that. It, it, when I was home brewing, it took me 12 hours to brew and clean. Here, it takes us close to 12 hours to brew and clean. And I was a tenth, not even a tenth of the size of what we have here. So women were finding that um, it took so much time. So they were designating people, like individuals in their community to be the beer makers and the bread makers and, you know, splitting the, splitting the work and then everybody would trade. And that trade became commerce. And so women would then have their beer and they'd go and they'd sell it. Um, and they'd wear these really tall hats um, that set them apart from everybody else when they would go sell their beer at the market. Um, and those tall black hats became like with women stirring the beer and the cauldron is the witch's brew. And um, <laughs> I don't know if this is true or not. I like to think it is. Um, but then once it, once, people realize there's money to be made here. It became a men's, a man's, um, you know, business kind of thing. And then men started brewing and then men, it became a man's drink. And, um, but it's funny because it was originally the women that were making the beer. Um, right. So let, let's then get back to your business and how you ended up on Roosevelt row right here in central Phoenix. Yeah. So, um, so after doing this research, I kind of sat on this research that um, over 75% of women felt underrepresented in the beer industry. And this research was actually done at the same time. My research was done at the same time as the Brewers Association was doing similar research on women, uh, women beer drinkers, and they were finding the same thing. And um, so I was like, okay. There, and, and then I continued my research and found that there were less than 2% of breweries that were female founded in the whole country. Um, 
So that made so much sense to me because 20% uh, of the breweries were founded by men, men and women, which were like husband and wife typically. And then the rest, 78% of the breweries in America are founded by men only. Um, and so that, that really clicked to me because it was like, if I, I'm making this product, I'm thinking about myself as a consumer. If he's making the product, he's thinking about himself, himself as a consumer, which is why this became this men's man's drink. Okay, so I was like, I sat on this information. Finally, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do something about it. I talked to a banker and that was because I wanted to self-fund the project and see if I could do this all myself. And she was like, oh, you wanna start a brewery? You've never worked in a brewery. You don't have any experience being a brewer except for homebrewing in your garage. That's a really cute, that's a really cute idea. Um, but you need to show us a proof of concept. Um, so, and, and she's like, once you have customers and once you have a product that you can sell in the market, we'll, you know, take, we'll take you into consideration. Um, so for the next year and a half, that's what I did was I found a brewery that had excess capacity that wasn't utilizing their fermenters to full capacity. And um, they ended up, we, there's a lot of like weird liquor laws. So I ended up having to work as a Greenwood Brewing as a DBA underneath their brand. So they took a big risk, letting me brew on their system, letting me sell my product under their license um, into, into, the, into Arizona for a year and a half as a side gig while I was working full time. And so on the at nights and the weekends is when I'd sell the beer. And then, then from there it was, okay, this is very clear. There's a need for this kind of a product, this kind of a market, this kind of marketing. Um, and thinking about women as I'm making the beer that, you know, she wants something flavorful and clean and approachable and delicious. And then some people do want that like calorie conscious or maybe not high alcohol because she wants mm -hmm. to have more than one mm -hmm. um, co content beer too. Um, and so I was like, okay, um, I'm going all in. So decided to leave my job and uh, went in on a hunt to find this location. Um, and it took us, that was at the end of 2018. It took us two, two and a half years to build the space. And we opened last July. And during the pandemic. During the pandemic, yep. So that, yeah. pres that presents its own challenges. And, and you're sitting in your outdoor courtyard, which is between the tap room and the brewery on this beautiful rainy day in Phoenix, yeah. which is yeah. quite a treat. And I've been in, and um, it was in the spring, and we've, we had a few beers at Greenwood. Talk to us about the space and what you hoped to achieve through the space itself. Yeah. So when I, um, when I was living in Chandler, I uh, was a single woman, young, didn't have a family. And I felt, and I, there were a lot of families around me. I didn't really feel like it was the kind of, I didn't have a lot of people that were like in my same stage of life. So I would come downtown to go out and have fun. Um, that was just where like me and my friends would come to dinner. We'd go out to Hanny's and we'd go to a show, you know? And so I was finding myself in downtown all the time. So I was like, why don't I just move there? And um, so I put my house up for rent and moved to downtown Phoenix. And this was in 2016. And I would, um, I had this, you know, I still had this idea, was just about to start the marketing, like kind of like the, the research about, and I was telling my friends, like, I want to start a brewery, want to start a brewery. And I lived five minutes away from where we're here at here. And I'd walk up Fifth Street to come to Roosevelt Row. And every time I was like, this is 
exactly where I want to build the breweries, right on Fifth Street, right on Fifth Street. But if you've been down Fifth Street, Fifth Street, which you have, you know that they're mostly craftsman style houses all down Fifth Street. And it's completely impractical to put a brewery in a craftsman style house. So, but still I was just like, gosh, this is such an opportunity. This is gonna be such a vibrant space, maybe even a pedestrian area in the future. I just see so much for downtown. And at the time I was living in a place that I think we were like 10% capacity in the whole apartment complex in 2016. Um, now, and then when I left in 2019, it was completely full. There was like 2% that was not filled, you know? So like in the time that we even lived downtown, it just changed and like grew so quickly. And so um, when I was in that stage of my side hustle of trying to sell our products. Um, our first customer was Sip Coffee and Beer Garage. And that's where we launched our first beer on March 8th, which is Women, International Women's Day, which um, just was like the perfect timing, to be honest. And um, we, uh, we had a sign up for the event uh, and we had somebody from Changing Hands Bookstore call us that was like, do you make a beer, our beer, it was called Her Story. That was the only beer I sold for like two full years, this Her Story Brew of Pale Ale. And um, this Changing Hands has, is a bookstore that has a bar in it called First Draft Book Bar. And they were like, do you have a beer called Her Story? Which is perfect for a bookstore. I was like, yeah, we do. It was like one of the first calls I ever received ordering a beer from me without me reaching out to them first. And they were like, we want to put you on tap. So we be, it became like a really great partnership with with uh, changing hands and just having our we did a lot of events with them and I met the owner who owns changing hands and she also owns several other businesses throughout the valley and she um, was like you know we have this property on Fifth Street in Roosevelt and we want to put a beer garden on there and I was like Fifth Street and what where and it was like it was like divine intervention you know it was like manifestation at its finest and. Um, so this lot, um, so I'm standing, I'm, I'm sitting on the corner of Roosevelt. Um, so this is our courtyard, our dog friendly courtyard. And then we have our tap room and we have a beer garden and our brewery. And where the beer garden and our brewery is, was a parking lot. I'm looking for a, a location for our brewery. And uh, this is the perfect location. This is exactly where I wanna be. And they were like, okay, let's, let's talk, let's build it. So um, jointly together, we built the building. Um, so the brewery, we, we actually I designed the brewery, which is where I come from in manufacturing is designing, designing a manufacturing facility process. And, um, and we built the building around the brewery. Uh, there's a cute beer garden between the two, nestled between the two that is able to be rented. And I kind of just loved the feeling of having this space that's in downtown, vibrant downtown, this little like pocket park that's nestled between our two buildings. Um, and then we also wanted to really, we wanted to make sure that we're incorporating the commute, like the culture of downtown and, and maintaining the history of these, of this space and these locations. Um, so the Craftsman style house that's sitting, that's on the property um, in, in 19, so it was built in 1901. In 1950, the, um, the style house um, turned into also a retail space off of their off of their craft, off of their house, off of their home, which was really common at the time to have a retail space. Um, and that retail space we converted back into what, so there were a couple of businesses in there. We trans, 
transformed the space to bring back that retail space right on the, right on Roosevelt Street, facing Roosevelt, um, to really bring back the life of what was here. And then our building is a mirror image of the building that was built in 1951. So when you're walking down the street, you think it was always here. Um, I, you know, I love the history of this street and I wanted to make sure we were preserving as much as possible and really just fitting in and not transforming, you know, fitting into what's here. Right. And, and, you know, in recent years, downtown Phoenix really has had a bit of a renaissance, thanks in large part to the presence of the university now. Um, and there are other breweries, you know, you're down the street from Arizona Wilderness and, and so many other businesses around. And you mentioned your partnership with Changing Hands. How has the response been from other local businesses on Roosevelt Row and in downtown Phoenix to have a woman-owned brewery and tap room in the neighborhood? I think, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I think um, I've only heard great response. Um, and I think it just brings a different feel. As a resident of downtown, I, I felt like there was this need for something a little bit, um, this need for more places that were a little bit, um, you could come dressed up from going to the, to the, to the symphony and then you could also come from your bike ride with your friends. And it's like kind of this like middle space where it's both of those things. Um, and I like where you enter the tap room and you can sit and feel good and that it's clean and bright and, um, and nice, kind of a little bit up, up, not upscale, but it's a little bit polished. Um, and that's because a lot of it's because it was designed by women. Um, and so women like to feel safe and good in the place where they are consuming anything. Um, that was actually straight from our research was, um, like, do you, would you rather go somewhere um, to a brewery or would you rather go to um, a fine dining or a casual? And it was like, or would you rather I go anywhere where the venue is good? And that was like 90% of the responses was, I'll go anywhere as long as the venue is right. Right. And so that was like clear indication, okay, this venue has to feel good to women. To right. Come in. And, and you mentioned her story, which was, you know, kind of your flagship beer, um, the pale ale. What other beers are you offering downtown right now? We have uh, 14 different beers on, on tap rotating all the time. Um, we have a non-alcoholic kombucha also that's brewed by a family-owned All About the Booch um, that we have for non-alcoholic, um, a non-alcoholic op option. But we, um, we have our flagship beers, which include uh, an oatmeal stout, our pale ale, a hazy IPA, our rosemary IPA, which is actually, a lot of those beers are my old homebrew, um, kind of inspired by old homebrew recipes. Um, but then we have our experimental, which we're always trying new things. Um, right now we have a mango cream ale with lactose and um, on nitro. Uh, and we have, you know, and that's kind of our weirdest beer that we've ever made. But we really, um, then we have like other rotating beers. Our, our amber is rotating. We have a West Coast IPA that's always, we're always trying to make it better. I'd say our style of beer is traditional. Um, my head brewer, her name's Kristen Luparello. She's fantastic. And she um, 
and I both have the same style of really just elevating traditional styles of beer. And so even though we have our flagship beers, I'd say there are two, maybe three recipes in total that um, we make that we haven't changed the recipe since we started. We're constantly changing our recipe to really elevate the, the, the style the best that we can. Um, and we're, people ask like, do you see like what kind of beers inspire you or what kind of beers do you think like are kind of competitive? Are you trying to like that, that you see yourself trying to like beat that style? And I'm like, we actually don't think of it like that at all we're constantly competing with ourselves on elevating our own product. Um, and that's kind of, and especially right now, we're being so young. Um, but we, so we're constantly just trying to innovate and come up with new beers that are being requested by our customers. And you mentioned growing up in the Midwest, um, which is obviously a pretty heavy duty beer culture. Um, mm-hmm. how, how would you explain or describe is probably the better verb, um, Phoenix's beer culture? That's a good question. I've never been asked that question. Um, You know, it's funny because we have our beer off premise too. So a lot of our, um, our, our goal in the future is to have this one tap room. And then I want you to consume our beer at home with your friends on a hike, um, going and doing fun Arizona activities, camping and drinking our beer while you're out. Um, And so we have our beer at restaurants um, and bars all throughout the valley. And it's funny how different, um, the different areas sell different products. And our Her Story Pale Ale does fabulous in Ahwatukee. Um, And then our stout does really well in Central Phoenix. Um, And it's so vast, like the differences. Um, I'd say the cult, the, the beer culture, I would say is growing just like Arizona's growing. Um, you know, I'd say, I think of Arizona, um, especially in like Phoenix is kind of like an adolescent, especially downtown, you know, she's still trying to figure out who she is. Um, I, I'd say that's kind of the beer culture of Arizona. We're still like 35 in the country for beer breweries per capita. It's like, we're like way down there. Um, so our beer community is just starting really. Um, and there are, we, there's so much space for more breweries. And I think that we're kind of still defining that. Um, so I would say we're, we're hip for sure. <laughs> I'd say like our beer culture is hip, um, but I think it's still in its adolescent phase of, of beer. You know, you think about the Northeast and you're like, I mean, that they've been, they were the pioneers of craft. And I'd say that they're, they're further along than we are in terms of their cult beer culture. But here, I think we're still, we're still figuring it out. Plenty of room to build. On that, on that note, Megan Greenwood of Greenwood Brewing, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe. For more information about Greenwood Brewing, visit greenwoodbrews.com. For more information about Arizona Highways, visit arizonahighways.com. Until next time, eat my words.